uh, for something that takes about 15 minutes to say out loud, give or take, it's taken us months to just begin to scratch the surface. And and even then, let me emphasise this, we have only just begun to scratch the surface. Uh, This is a sermon that you can revisit uh, for the rest of your life and see something different every single time. Such is the powerful and deep preaching of the world's greatest teacher, the Word made flesh, who came to be with us. I mean, think about what we've heard over the months. Jesus has revealed to us what it is to be blessed. In, in fact, that's where he started, right? He, it, it is those who are poor in spirit who are blessed in the sight of God. It is the poor in spirit who enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Christ's original audience, like us, may have been sitting there going, I wonder what that means. I wonder what it means to be poor in spirit. Well, they didn't have to wonder for very long as Jesus showed what the law was really given for. And he showed that over and against what the Pharisees had taught the people. And Jesus showed us that the law was given to expose the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. I mean, once he did that, it was very obvious to all who heard, and even us, that no one can live in the sight of God perfectly in all that they do. It's simply impossible in light of what Jesus has to say on things like Hatred for others, lust, truth-telling, revenge, and even loving one's enemies to then walk away feeling like you're doing a great thing with this thing called life. But Jesus didn't stop there, did he? No, he dug his point in even deeper. Not just exposing the wrong teaching of the religious elite of the day, but even exposing their very actions as false. Saying to his disciples that the way that the Pharisees acted was in no way something to emulate. As all that they did was a show for others. Their giving to the needy, their prayers, their fastings. It was all an act to draw people's attention to themselves and not for the audience of one, namely God's. You can imagine it, right? These disciples sitting there at the feet of the Lord Jesus, having been educated and shown the way on how to follow God all these years by the Pharisees all their life with all these impossible standards. And Jesus says to them, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You can imagine it, right? On the one hand, you're listening to Jesus and possibly thinking to yourself, yeah, I can see how the law goes so much deeper than just washing the grime off the surface. But on the other hand, thinking, 
but those whom I've looked up to and listened to my whole life, well, I thought that they had it all together. I thought that they were holier than thou. I thought that they were the ones that I was meant to be like to please God. You might for a moment imagine the original disciples sitting there thinking, so if my righteousness is to surpass the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, what am I meant to do? How am I meant to act? But this is the thing that Jesus has been doing for his disciples from the very beginning of this wonderful sermon. He's been taking their eyes off the religious teachers of the time with their traditions of men and slowly bringing their attention to a real and living relationship that his people, the church, has with God, whom he reveals to be our Heavenly Father. Notice that throughout the sermon, God, in the language of Jesus Christ, is our Heavenly Father. And so what we see in the ministry of Jesus is that all those who trust in Jesus and all those who follow Jesus as his disciples have a right, a privilege and an honour to be able to go to God as none other than their father. Amazing. And we've seen this theme come to the forefront uh, through the sermon on the mount in the way that Jesus talked about his people as being the light of the world in chapter 5. And how his disciples, uh, how our light will shine before others and that the world will glorify our Father in heaven. Then again in chapter 6, Jesus makes his point even stronger in saying you, you have an audience of one in all that you do. So when you give, when you pray, when you fast, all of that is leading you to a closer intimacy with none other than your heavenly father. Not to mention the incredible intimacy that Jesus reveals that we have with God in the prayer that he gives us, saying that when we go to God Almighty, we go to him as our father in heaven. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, church. The world's greatest Bible teacher, the word made flesh, tells us, his disciples, that when we go to God in prayer, we're to call him none other than our heavenly Father. I mean, think about that for a moment, brothers and sisters. For those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who have called upon his name to save you from your sin, you have intimacy at this very moment with the creator of the universe. Let that soak in for just a moment. The Lord Jesus is telling us, his disciples, that when we approach the creator of all there is, the judge of all living creatures, the one who spoke everything into being, well, we're to go to him like a child goes to their father. I mean, what a radical understanding of the nature of God that we have seen in this sermon over the months. God Almighty isn't to be approached 
through a whole bunch of religious babbling and pious hoops like a poodle might go to their master. But we're invited to go to God by and through Christ as none other as our Father. It's mind-blowing stuff which would have been so alien to those who were under the yoke of the pharisaical system of the time. And so Jesus, here again in chapter 7, takes his disciples' tender minds from that which is before them and again raises their hearts heavenward to our Heavenly Father, saying, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you, verse 7. Okay, so that is, that's big picture stuff. And now I, I want to slow down a bit here and have a think about a couple of things. Uh, first, about why Jesus uses these interesting descriptive words. And second, what is he wanting to draw our attention to? Okay, so the first thing that we might ask here is exactly, what is exactly, what exactly is Jesus talking about? What does he have in mind uh, using ask, seek, and knock to illustrate his point? Well, it's all language that's directing our attention to the way in which we're to approach our Heavenly Father in prayer. Uh, That's what we're meant to have on view here. Jesus is using these words to describe how we're meant to go to God in prayer, which is all language that's meant to bring our attention to someone who is persistent in their endeavour. And that answers our second question here this morning. In what is Jesus wanting to draw our attention to? It's all about being persistent. Now, I use that word persistent because the command that Jesus is giving us isn't said in a way that we're just to do it once or haphazardly. No, it's said in such a way that it shows us that we're to consistently go to God in prayer. Using words which make us think of someone who's kind of annoying in that they keep asking, uh, keep seeking, keep knocking at the front door kind of thing. You might be thinking to yourself this morning, so does that mean we're always playing hide and seek with God? Always trying to find him to no avail? Well, no, that's not being said at all. In in fact, just the opposite. Look again with me at verse 7. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This is incredibly encouraging language. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray, it feels like I'm just vibrating the eardrums of other people or speaking to the ceiling. Not so, says Jesus. You're in no way playing hide and seek with God. Just the opposite. Your prayers are actually being heard by the creator of the universe. And more than that, he's concerned about the things that you share with him. And more than that, he's ready to act upon those things that you bring to him. What an encouraging sentence, right? 
encouraging in the fact that when we go to our Heavenly Father, our prayers have an audience with none other than God himself. So that begs the question, why wouldn't we want to be persistent in that? Why wouldn't we want to consistently go and share uh, what's on our heart with the one who can really do something about what we bring to him? Well, I think disciples of Jesus become dispassionate in prayer, become cold and don't persist because at the end of the day, they lose sight of God's personal touch in their lives. And so I want you to notice that more than a rebuke on his disciples, Jesus is in fact, again, lifting our eyes heavenward to the awesome nature of our relationship with God to encourage us to keep on keeping on. I want you to notice a few words. First, that word, ask. Now, it's a word that's used in a sense of an inferior to a superior expecting a reply. With, let's say, a child in need asking for help kind of thing. But again, remember the context here. These people were taught that they had to go through a company of things to feel like they were heard by God. Yet Jesus says here, simply go in prayer. Ask and keep on asking, and not only will he hear you, but what you ask for will be given. That word seek, it's meant to bring to mind something more than a text message. Hey, Dad, just letting you know I sinned a bit today. Sorry about that, but could I please have such and such? Now, that language of seeking is deeply rooted in the Old Testament, And it draws our attention to actively endeavouring in our communication with God, taking time to really spend with him in the so-called prayer closet. And again, this is mind-blowing in that we can approach God in this way, that, that we would even gain the attention of the Almighty. But not only do we have it, but our Lord and Saviour says we're invited to it. It's as Jesus says here, ask because you're heard, dear ones. Seek because you'll find what you're looking for and finally knock because the door, well, it will be open to you. Now, this word that, uh, this last word that Jesus uses is interesting because it's a word uh, that's more associated with banging on a door. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to a stranger's house, I might politely, you know, tap and then walk away if they don't answer because I'm not sure if they're home or not. I don't want to be impolite. But that's not the sense that Jesus gives here. No, this is more like you know Dad's home. He's probably just taking his time to get to the front door. So you pound on that front door because you want to get him moving because you know he's there and you want his attention. So you keep pounding with a boldness, so to speak. All this to say what Jesus is giving us here is all language to indicate a personal relationship between a father and his children. We ask knowing 
that we're heard. We seek knowing that we won't be ignored and we knock because we know dad's home and he doesn't ignore his children. Admittedly, church, I think that many don't pray like this uh, with this fervour in our Western world because of a, lot of a lot of the time we have everything we need, right? Uh, if you have an infection, you go to the doctor. If you're hungry, you go to the shops. If you need money, there's, there's government helps. We live in a world in a day and age where so much of our needs are taken care of by what we can do with our very own hands. And thus, so much of the time, we don't go to our Father in heaven in a position of need, but more in a stance of want, kind of trading places with him, as if we're the Father and he's the child, as if we know how to better run our lives than he does. And so if we're not careful, our prayers can become more of a to-do list, a to-do list of things that we want God to do for us. And thus we become annoyed or discouraged because we don't get the answers that we want. But we have to understand something here, church. Jesus isn't giving us a formula to get God to do whatever we want him to do for us. Uh, that's not what Jesus is getting at here. No, God is our father and, and when we pray to him, we must come to him in that position of where a child comes to a father. Uh, that's how Jesus taught us to pray in chapter 6, right? Uh, that's how he taught us to approach God, his dad, and we're the children. Meaning we ask, and we heard it this morning from Matt, we ask for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done, not the other way around. In other words, God's not a genie who's in heaven waiting on standby for our wishes to be thrown up to him so that he can do our will. Now, it's, as it's been said this morning, He's our Father, and our Father knows what's best. And sometimes we're not asking for the best things. Now, don't mishear me this morning. I'm not saying that your dreams aren't big enough, uh, that your wants aren't lavish enough, and you just got to reach for the sky. No, I'm saying that we don't ask for what's best because sometimes our hearts aren't gravitating towards God's way of doing things in his world. James says it like this. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And I want you to hear that. He, he's basically saying that God isn't out to automatically answer every request that his children have. Because sometimes we ask for things with totally wrong motives in mind. Which is another way of saying our own ways over God's will as revealed in his word. So keep that in mind here. 
Jesus isn't saying to us disciples, hey, if you're just consistent enough, God's going to give you whatever you want. Tell him your heart's desire and he'll make your dreams come true. Now, church, he is raising our eyes heavenward in the midst of this incredible sermon for our encouragement because of all that has been said, because of all that is going to be revealed in the New Testament and about, uh, where, about where we fit in the scheme of things. He's encouraging us here because of all that we're called to do in this world. And he encourages us because we need to be going to God and asking, knocking, seeking on dad's door for the grace to live it out in the way that he wants us to. You see, church, as we've seen over the months, the kingdom of heaven requires poverty of spirit. Purity of heart, truth, compassion, a life of integrity amongst many other things. And I have a sneaking suspicion that you're a lot like me, a work in progress. I mean, for just one example, think about what we looked at last week. Jesus told us disciples, as as brothers and sisters in the family of God, that we're meant to not judge one another by each other's standards, but get rid of the planks in our heads and help one another with those specks in each other's eyes. I mean, how much wisdom and discernment does that take? How much love and tender care does that require with those around us? Well, these are things that are impossible to do and to keep on doing in our own strength. But this is the incredibly encouraging thing. Jesus says, when you see that need, dear one, go to your Father in heaven. Seek, knock in prayer, because not only is God totally accessible to you, but everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened, verse 8. What blessing we see here, church. What incredible access through the Lord Jesus Christ that we have at this very moment. When you see those things in your life that you know you fall so far short in, that like Paul, you might cry out, O wretched person that I am, we have an invitation from the Holy One. When you see those things that we just don't have a clue how to deal with, we can go to the one who is ready and willing. When it all seems so dark and it all seems so hard to be the light, the salt in the situation, we can get in that room of ours and go to the one who will take you from that place of despair to the place of hope. I want you to notice one last thing in 7 and 8. The invitation isn't to some Christians. It's to everyone who asks in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The promise is that everyone who goes to God in faith through Christ will not only be heard but will be answered. And that's significant for us to notice, church, and I want you to see this. The language from verse 7 to verse 8 changes. 
It changes from a future tense to a present tense, meaning that not just one day will you be heard and answered, but that you'll be heard and answered now. All this to say, Jesus is encouraging us here to be persistent in our prayer life and is determined to show us that we never, ever labour in vain when we go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. It is never in vain, never wasted time. God really cares for his children, really hears his children. He really answers his children when they cry out to him. But our Lord, he knows how discouraged we can get. So he kindly explains to us just how wonderful how beautiful our Heavenly Father really is. Verses 9 to 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now there might be some of you here this morning who are thinking to yourself, that is just so awesome what Jesus is saying. But I've gone to God in prayer. I've pleaded with him in prayer. Yet I've struggled to see God do anything. Well, brother, sister, God knows the hidden doubts in his children's hearts. He knows we wonder sometimes if it's really worth taking that matter to God in prayer. He knows that situation that you're going through even at this very moment. He knows that there are people who have gone before the Lord with all sorts of situations and said, Lord, spare me from this thing. And the Lord hasn't seemed to spare you from that situation. So we might wonder, well, does this praying really work? Well, why should I bother? Well, Jesus tells us two things to help us in these verses when we face those doubts. First, church, as it's been said, we go to God as children. We ask in such a way that we trust that he will hear us and will give us what we need. And notice this, we are to trust and expect that God gives us good things. It's what it says here, good things. When we go to him, just as a child asks for food, we don't give them rocks or even something that can harm them. Even parents who have had a rough night's sleep because of their screaming child wouldn't stoop that low. No, when we go to God in prayer and when we ask, we should expect that he will give us good things because he is a good, good father. Meaning he's not tainted by sin and selfishness with a temporal nature. No, he can see things and he knows things that are far beyond our comprehension. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, as it's been said, we set our hearts on things that are not the best for us 
and we plead and beg God for them. Imagine if we did ask God for a snake. But in our Heavenly Father's wisdom, when he hears our requests, when he does say no, that's not because he's ignored us or because he wants to watch us squirm. It's because he knows in his infinite wisdom what's best for us. I mean, for any parent out there who adores their child, if you were to say yes to absolutely every request that they made, it would be tantamount to child abuse. I mean, could you imagine the damage they would do to their little developing bodies if you gave them everything they wanted to eat? Let them do everything that they wanted to do. Be any imaginary Pokemon that they wanted to become. I mean, my own son would quite happily uh, try to drive us all to church if I just said yes to his requests. Sometimes dad says no. And from our point of view, admittedly, it seems so unfair, so unjust. But that's the point Jesus is driving here. Even us, even in our human parenting, we know what's good for our children. So how much more our Father in heaven who sees all, who is the Father of lights, in him there is no shadow of turning. And sometimes, for whatever a reason, we get no from Dad. But let me say this, isn't no sometimes the biggest blessing of all? I mean, I thank God personally that he said no to some of my silly requests in the past. And I'm sure that there's others here this morning who can testify to that very thing in their lives. But with other things, we're being called to trust by the Lord Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, that our father, who spared not his only son, knows what's best for us. And that as we've asked, as we've sought, as we've knocked, he's answered us in his goodness in a wise and gracious way. We might not see it now, but we can trust that he has heard and given what's needed, even when we don't know what we need. The Apostle Paul puts it like this, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. That's what Jesus is driving at here. Our Heavenly Father hears our prayers and we can trust him to answer wisely and graciously in his goodness. He is a good father. To which Jesus ends this section of his teaching by pointing us back to our responsibility that we have with others around us. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and prophets, verse 12. And that's where we were last week. We have a responsibility to each other, both in the family of God, to help one another, and to those outside, to be the light and the salt of this world. 
and it's difficult, it's time-consuming, and sometimes it's downright disheartening. But that's what we are called to do as the community of Christ's disciples. But as we have seen again here this morning, we're not alone in any sense, church. No, as we've heard, we all have one Father in heaven whom we can go to and seek and find, whom we can speak to and know that we will be answered. That's the great privilege of being in Christ. And Jesus reminds us here again, we're not alone, not alone in our Christian walk because we have a father in heaven who loves his children and a worldwide family here on earth whom we're learning to love more and more and more. And so, church, we have a responsibility. We, we have a responsibility on this side of eternity to serve each other in everything that we do both in the church with our gifts and those outside with our testimony. And know this, whatever we face, in whatever season we go through, whatever trial comes our way, both individually and as a community of believers, both here in Armidale and the wider church in the world, we can go to our Father asking, seeking, knocking with great boldness and consistency all because we know through Christ we will never be ignored. So as we end our time in this passage this morning, I I do want to say a few things by way of application for you to think about. First, God wants you to ask. He, He wants you to ask. That's what Jesus is showing us this morning. God wants us to bring our needs to him because he cares for you. There's been things that have come up in the series of Matthew that for many of us have been confronting. Week after week, we've asked the Lord to help us not to put it in the too hard pile, but to help us in our discipleship, in our saltiness, in our light shining, if you will. Well, this is the encouragement, such encouragement that where you fall short, where you see you need to grow, you can go to God, ask, seek, knock. And for those things that you you don't know how to go to God about, well, go ask, seek, knock, because you can know without a shadow of doubt, that because we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for his people and who is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, we will never be ignored. We have a good father and he will answer us and he will give us what we need. Second, we've seen this morning that it's our father who gives us good things. And so it puts limits on on requests to those things that are in line with his good purposes as revealed in his word and thus restricts his giving to us what is good. And we've seen this this morning, that that's actually a wonderful thing. But sometimes like little kids who don't understand why they're not allowed to eat all the chocolate in the house or 
sweep, swim in the deep end because they have it all figured out. Uh, we can get down because dad says no. So please be encouraged this morning. That no is sometimes a great thing. We don't know why right now, but he knows. He is good and he gives us what's best because he loves us. And finally, church, we're always on mission towards doing to others what you would have them do to you. And this incredibly simple principle would revitalize human relationships if everyone was to do it. But as we know, that's simply not the case in this world. But that doesn't mean we are to join in and live like the world. No, we're told in Peter that repentance starts in the household of God. And thus, as we turn our attention and intention and actions towards the obedience of our Lord's commands... The light that we have been entrusted with, the salt that we have become in Christ will really do something great in this world. So church, would you please join me uh, now in praying for some of these things? Would you please join me in asking God to show us where we fall short individually, corporately, so that we can turn from our ways and follow his lead? Father God, we thank you that, as we've heard this morning, our prayers are not vibrating the eardrums of other people or hitting the ceiling, but they are coming up before the throne of grace because of the Lord Jesus. Father, we are asking as a community that you have put together, that you have purchased that you have brought together to be the salt and light in Armadale, uh, in Perth. We're asking, Father, where we are doing things that are, are not pleasing to you. Would you please show us? We ask, Father, where we can be more mindful, more loving, more serving. Would you please show us? Father, where we can be holding Christ higher in our midst through the uh, working with your spirit and not grieving your spirit, not quenching your spirit among us. We ask that you would show us that we might repent from our ways and do things in your way. Father, we desperately want to make Jesus known in Armadale. We desperately want to take the light, the salt into wherever you have us during the week. We're asking that you would help us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us. And Father, would you please make this church a disciple-making church, not one that is consumed with our own agendas, inward-looking, but one that is looking to you and leading people to you from everything with welcoming people at the door to the proclamation of the word and everything in between. Father, we ask that you would use this community for your glory alone. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen.